The Extremist Publishing Podcast is endorsed by Heart 200, Scotland's most exciting road trip. Find out more at heart200.scot. Welcome to the Extremist Publishing Podcast. I'm Tom Christie, and joining me today is the only man in the world who has more air miles than Phileas Fogg, Mr. David Addison. And he's here to tell us about his two Italian books, Travels Through Time in Italy and Travels Around Sorrento. As the title suggests, they outline two separate weeks of travelling which David enjoyed, where he visits some of the famous landmarks and most beautiful cities that Italy has to offer. David, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome, Tom. So how did these two books on Italy come about? Was this part of the world that particularly fascinated you? Well, actually, it was the first holiday that my wife and I went on after I was given early retirement, being surplus to requirements. As a matter of fact, I do explain the genesis of the books in the first, first of the Italian books. What happened was that we were in Rome and doing a bit of sightseeing with our new friends whom we'd met on the trip. It so happened that on the Corso we happened to come across number 18, the Casa di Goethe, who, as you know, wrote an Italian journey about his grand tour. And this was the very house where he had spent two hours writing it. Now, it was my wife who suggested that I wrote my Italian journey. Why don't you write a book about our trip, she suggested. As I said, I had just retired and had plenty of time in my hands. I'd been a teacher of English, so she thought I was just about literate enough to be able to put some words to paper. She also thought it would give me something to do after I'd done all the hoovering and dusting and ironing whilst she was out at work, and it would keep me off the streets. She knew not what she did. With that innocent suggestion, she was transformed into a writer's widow. Now it annoys her that I do nothing else but write. She has also been co-opted as proofreader and photographer. As the old adage has it, be careful for what you wish for. Now, in the first of your two Italian books, you visit no less than eight different cities, all of them with a very diverse history and cultural background. What interested you the most about these particular cities? And what did you enjoy most about them? Ah, dear, that's that's very hard to say, Tom. You know, they all have something different. And just for the record, for anyone who has not read the book yet, the cities are Naples, Pompeii, Assisi, Florence... Pisa, Siena, Rome and the Vatican. Uh, Let me answer your question by telling you about each one. Let me think about the best parts of each one and I'll see if I can reach a conclusion as to which of the eight I like the best. In reverse order. 
St. Peter's was pretty amazing, and the Sistine Chapel ceiling. The only thing is that it was mobbed with people, and the best way to see it would have been to lie down and look up, but that was impossible unless you wanted to be trampled to death. In Rome? That is also very hard to say, possibly the ancient forum, although it is pretty hard to make sense of it as it covers so many years and periods. What I liked best about that was the rostrum, where Julius Caesar refused the crown three times and Mark Antony incited the mob against Brutus after Julius Caesar was assassinated. In Siena, it was the scallop shell square of the Campo, where the Palio takes place. It lasts an amazing 90 seconds. It begins at 9.45 in the evening, but you've got to be there by 2 o'clock in the afternoon if you want a good place to see, as there are so many people. And there are no toilets, apart from the Fonte Gaia. Not during the race, but we climbed the 289 steps of the Torre del Mangia, where there is a good viewpoint down onto the square. In Pisa, well, we didn't spend a lot of time there actually, but it has to be the Field of Miracles, consisting of the Tower, the Leaning One, the Duomo and the Baptistry, of which I like that the best. It's a bit like a lemon squeezer with gothic arches and blind Romanesque windows. In Florence it was the Duomo, particularly Brunelleschi's dome. We climbed to the top and in the crypt is his tomb, a necessity for a Thana tourist like me. Or it might have been the Ponte Vecchio with its pastel shades with the Corridorio Vasariano running along the top so the Medicis could walk from the Uffizi Palace on one side of the river to the Pitti Palace on the other without having to mix with the raff. In Assisi, it was Giotto's frescoes in the Basilica of St. Francis. They have been restored, so I was seeing them as Goethe would have seen them 200 years ago, only perversely avoided the place. In Pompeii, it was just being there to walk along the streets that Roman sandals had trod before me, and to see the fast food joints where the jars or dolia were set into the counter, the bakery and the lupinar, a brothel, and not least the frescoes, both there in, and in some of the fancy houses. In Naples it was the Piazzo Plebescito and the church of San Francesco di Paola, it is modelled on the Pantheon in Rome, all columns, curves and colonnades. So that is a short list, Tom. I'd really rather not say what I like best. It's a bit like having to choose your favourite record out of eight on Desert Island Discs. I'll tell you what, after I've been on that show, I will make up my mind definitely. Now, as you explain in your books, David, both take place on two separate weeks. What would you like to say about those two particular periods of time and how did they differ? Yes, it was a different sort of holiday and yet it wasn't. Um, it was meant to be, the second week was meant to be more relaxing, a bit of rest and relaxation. 
a bit of a swim in the pool and some sunbathing, but it didn't quite work out like that. On the very first morning, we had a complimentary tour of Sorrento. After that was finished, Fiona wanted to look round the shops with her new friends. I decided to go back to the hotel and relax. Unfortunately, I got on the wrong bus and ended up stranded in a village called Sant'Agata, away up in the hills. I had no money to buy a ticket back, and to make matters worse, it was siesta time. It was hot, and there was no one about. It was like the deserted village. I won't divulge how I got out of that scrape, you'll just have to read the book. Suffice it to say, Fiona had walked back from the town and said it didn't take her that long. Then we went on a minibus tour along the Amalfi coast. We went with some people who had been on the tour on the first week, whittled down to about ten of us. We were told that we were the bosses. We could go where we liked, stay as long as we liked, and so on. The drivers would give us the information as they drove us about. <laughs> the reality was quite different. I called the older driver Ilducci, or big driver, and the other driver, our driver, baby driver. He may or may not have been the son of the big driver. Their dictatorial attitude was best revealed when we were taken to Ravello. That was as far as we went. We had two and a half hours there, left to our own devices, whilst they went off for lunch somewhere. Actually, it was a pretty interesting place with connections to Wagner, but what interested me most was the file of blood of St. Pantaleone in the Duomo, where on July the 22nd each year it is supposed to turn from dark and opaque to translucent. We were there on the 30th, and guess what? It was. Then there was a Tel Ruffalo in Positano, popularised by Steinbeck, and where D.H. Lawrence wrote part of Lady Chatterley's Lover. But I didn't know about that until we got back. Our drivers did not tell us. We were left to our own devices there, as we were in Amalfi, which of course is where the Duchess came from in Webster's famous play. The drive along the Amalfi coast is particularly beautiful, with lots of interesting things to see along the way, if you can bear to keep your eyes open. It's very sinuous, and Italian drivers have a penchant for driving within a centimetre of the vehicle in front, and passing in the most impossible of places. Yet we did not see any accidents, and just as well, as had there been, it would have brought the traffic to a standstill. Apart from that... We took ourselves by train to Herculaneum, and we also went back to Pompeii. In a way, I sort of preferred Herculaneum, as it is a lot more compact, and a good number of buildings have been restored. We also took ourselves to Capri, and walked up to the remains of Tiberius's villa, from where he ran the empire for ten years, from AD 27 to AD 37, and where he died, murdered by Caligula. We were planning to cross the bay to Naples later in our holiday, but to tell the truth, we were just worn out and ran out of time. So, it wasn't really that much of a change from the previous week. We don't do relaxing holidays. We come back for a rest.
One thing that does stand out from reading your book is the sheer number of colourful characters that you met in the course of your journeys. Would you like to say more about them? Yeah, that's right, Tom. Um, to my view, that's the interesting thing about travelling. You meet a whole lot of new and interesting people. Uh, I wouldn't call them colourful characters exactly, but I had an interesting experience on my way back from the Bobbly Gardens in Florence. Fiona and I had split up because I wanted to walk in the sunshine along the Arno while she wanted to seek out the shelter of the streets. There I was, minding my own business, when I met a sweaty fat man with a map. He was obviously feeling the heat. He stopped me and asked for directions to the railway station. I didn't think about it at the time, but I was obviously a tourist, so why was he asking me? I was just about to find out. I was aware of someone in a pork pie hat coming up behind me, and a tough-looking hombre stood in front of me and asked Mapman and me to show him our papers. Mapman obligingly produced us straight away. Couldn't say which country it was. I didn't have mine with me, as advised. Plain clothes, police, said the tough-looking one. I have the right. I said I didn't have it with me. Meanwhile, pork pie hat might have been trying to pickpocket me, but I didn't have anything in them. I increased my grip on my camcorder. Then suddenly, I had a bright idea. Show me your papers, I said to him. That did it. All three of them scarpered round the corner. The postscript to this tale was that Fiona and I failed to meet up at the designated place. We don't do easy holidays. As I said. Another encounter we had was on the boat coming back from Capri to Sorrento. The previous tale took place in Travels Through Time. This one took place in the sequel. The boat was really crowded, but Fiona and I managed to squeeze into a couple of seats. In front of us was an ugly looking customer who reminded me of Kojak, bald head and blubbery lips who made no effort to move his feet to make way for us. He was accompanied by a drop-dead gorgeous young lady, about half his age. On his other side was a holdall occupying a seat. And here's another thing. Kojak's fingernails were painted red. Before long, a middle-aged man came along and asked Red Fingernails to remove his bag. It's broke, snarled Red Fingernails, lifting the bag up a fraction, and before plonking it back, I could see a crack running across the seat. Boldly, the newcomer said that nevertheless he would like to sit in it. As before, neither Red Fingernails or his girlfriend made any effort to move their feet to make room for him. The newcomer was unfazed. I from Argentina, he introduced himself to Red Fingernails. Not speak English so good. Then shut up, said Red Fingernails. Wisely, the Argentinian decided to take his advice. We found his rudeness utterly embarrassing, but the Argentinian did not seem to be put out in the least, although thankfully he made no further attempts at conversation. Another memorable person on occasion was a lady from Yorkshire. This is back to the first book again, when we had a farewell dinner, an evening with the tenors in Rome. There were a couple of tenors and a soprano, God help us, who entertained us by singing some songs from the operas. At the end, 
the tenors cajoled some members from the audience to join them on the stage. All the while, he was blasting away, Figaro, 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 and Mrs. Yorkie began imitating him, spreading her arms out wide and responding with her own, Figaro. He tried to pull her arm down, but she broke free and, wiggling her assets, declared, Figaro, Figaro, Figaro. It really was the funniest thing I'd ever seen. There were a host of other characters too, such as the mafioso Maitre D at her hotel in the second week, who made us sit where he wanted and made us order the wine before we chose the food, and who corrected my Italian accent. Well, David, Rome is one of the great world capitals, and Sorrento and the Bay of Napoli so famous that Mario Lanza immortalised it in song. It seems that you've been to many places in Italy and thoroughly enjoyed the experience. Does that mean that you'll be returning there at some point in the future for further travel? Ah, well, never say never, Tom, but actually I have written another book about Italy, uh, which is called Misadventures in Tuscany. Uh, We were based in Lucca, which is a bit off the the tourist trail, but uh, well worth a visit in my view. And whilst you were there, we revisited Florence and Pisa. It's called Misadventures because I picked up an identical bag at the airport and spent a lot of time and money repatriating it instead of sightseeing. Meanwhile, our luggage was held hostage at Pisa Airport. We got it the day before our flight back. As I said, we revisited Florence, but when we were there, I discovered I had left my pouch on the train, so we had to spend a great deal of time reporting the loss to the police. I never did get to see inside the Uffizi, but I did get to see the inside of a police station, which I imagine most tourists never get to see. I spent a lot of time cancelling my cars and so on, and eventually, at the station, I caught sight of a lost property office and called in there, and there it was. A cleaner had handed it in. If only I'd thought to try going there first. Of course, if only I'd not left it on the train in the first instance. We've also been back to Siena and to Puglia, both with the holiday property bond, and where we stayed in Atrullo, one of those charming conical traditional houses. A lot of room still to see, but we've got no plans to go back to Italy. And no more books on Italy planned in the meantime. I've got too many books to write on Scotland before I think about going back to Italy again. Well, David, I think anyone reading your Italian books will be delighted by the combination of historical fact and entertaining happenings. And uh, I, for one, certainly look forward to reading more about your future travels. Thanks very much for having joined us today. Thank you very much for having me, Tom. It's been a pleasure. Travels through time in Italy and travels around Sorrento are available to buy from all good independent bookshops and online retailers worldwide. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you'll tune in again soon.
If you would like to find out more about advertising on the Extremist Publishing Podcast, please visit their website at www.extremistpublishing.com for details.